Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio and Manufacturing with Harry Moser. So, how you doing, Harry? I'm, I'm great, Lou. It's good to see you as always. Thank you. And and by the way, I really thank you for the manufacturing is cool, uh, even though I'm sitting in a studio that's really very hot right now. But uh, thanks for the T-shirt. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I've got I've got mine on, too. So it's uh, I know um, I see that we're, we're, we're almost like twins, <laughs> except I'm wearing a yellow bow tie. <laughs> All right, Harry is uh, Harry's probably single-handedly brought back more jobs to the United States than we can even handle. So, Harry, you've been doing a great job, and um, what can I tell you? Let's let's move forward. Let's talk about the next episode of Mosher on Manufacturing. So, um, what's going on, Harry? Well, the just general background on what's going on, uh, reshoring continues to boom. There's there's so many announcements coming out daily that it's all, almost hard for us to keep up and tabulate so that we can come up with the numbers. So it lo looks like we're going to go past our forecast for the year. Forecast is 350,000, and we're I think we'll go beyond that. So it look, looks very good, better than we expected. Uh, at the same time, the Reshoring Initiative, our group, is, has been blessed with uh, new sponsors, uh, companies that have come to us and want us to work with them, do webinars, do articles, do, uh, uh, you know, help them help them sell more by focusing on the opportunities with Reshoring. So it's, it's, a, it's as good, good as it gets. <laughs> well, this has been really an unusual year. And, you know, you're doing terrific. And... Uh... <clears throat> All Metals and Forge Group, the sponsor and my primary uh, company that I, uh, I, I manage and uh, I'm president of. Uh, this has been really a terrific year. Uh, you know, I, and I really don't want, we don't talk politics, as you know, but, you know, we did have the election a few days ago. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting as to what's happening with regards to that. Uh, I think they're beginning to call it the pink splash. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing I, I'm ha rather happy with <clears throat> is yesterday the stock market just took off. Now, it presumably yeah. took, took off because the, um, the inflation numbers were a little less than expected. But the the Nasdaq was up eight percent, and the others were up five or six percent. I mean, yeah. that's that that's you know, if, if if I had as much money as you do, Lou, I I'd have really picked up a lot yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I I got some bucks here that I could throw your way. You know, <laughs> all right, here we go. You know, I'll throw. That's yours. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really been an unusual time for uh, all of us. Uh, but we really uh, we need to talk about what's coming down the road. All right. So consumers uh, uh, prefer made in America. That's become the battle cry. Is that or do you concur with that? 
consumers prefer, they say they prefer made in USA. They don't buy, obviously don't buy enough made in USA because the, the vast majority of the, of the uh, non-food things that consumers buy <clears throat> are imported. So they, they, say, they say they want it. Uh, they say they'll pay, maybe half of them will pay 10% or more, more for it, which is enough often to cover the price difference. But finally, they, they don't do it. And, and a lot of that has to do with the retailer not offering it. You know, the retailers, Walmart, Target, and so on, have competed very much on price. <clears throat> and so they, you know, they keep trying to offer a, a good enough product for the lowest possible price. And, and that's knocked the American product off the shelf, knocked the companies out of business. And so the, a, a lot of the challenge is for the consumer to tell the retailer, I want a made in USA hammer, hammock, you know, shirt, you know, whatever. I, I want made in USA. And, and then for the retailer to offer it and make it easy for the consumer to find it. Because if the, if the consumer comes, if I go into a store and I want to buy something and there's a, you know, shelves of things, and I've got to look at a hundred of them to find the one that has a made in USA label. Right. Most of them, I'm not going to do it. And if I won't do it, you know, other people aren't going to do it. So, so the uh, <clears throat> really important to get to make it easy to find. And, and I, the, the surveys are so conclusive that people prefer made in USA. I think that if, if you make it easy for them, they'll do it. Do you really believe that the Americans care that much about whether they're buying a Let's talk, talk about a, a technology product. Do they really care if they're buying a technology product from the U.S. or from China or from Japan or where? Do they really care? But there, there's a lot of surveys. I, all, you know, you can easily measure is, is the surveys. And they've come out and repeatedly said that they prefer Made in USA and specifically that they don't want to buy made in China. They've, they've told, com told companies that we don't want you to source the product in China. We want you to source the product in the United States. And, you know, and, and if the companies do that, I believe that they'll be rewarded by the, by the customer. The consumer will buy the made in USA product. So if we build it, they will come, basically. Yeah, now, now the, if you think of televisions, radios, uh, cell phones, you know, most of the electronics that we consume, they are not made here. They essentially, right. essentially are not made. So, so no one's offering them the alternative. And you know, Apple, for example, has pulled some of its uh, cell phone production out of China and moved it to India. And I think to, so that they will be less dependent on China and, and also to get a solid foothold in the Indian market. But you know, the challenges for Apple to do the same thing here, you know, to, to th maintain their image, strengthen their image by producing something <laughs> significant here in the United States. So I, you know, I call on Apple to, to do that. So with the uh, CHIP Act and all that's going to be going on in regards to building chip factories in the United States so that avoid <clears throat> Uh, overseas purchases of chips. How long is that going to take before it starts having a meaningful impact? 
having having the chips produced here, having more pr chips produced here, having the, the best, you know, as good a chip as anybody produces produced here is necessary for us to produce electronic products like cell phones. It's not sufficient. So it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. You remember that from philosophy class, right? Sure. Okay. So the uh, in addition, it has to be that the assembly of the product has to be affordable. It has to be the cost of, of assembling the cell phone has to be at a reasonable level and the and the availability of the components, not just the chips, but there's I don't know 20 other electronic uh, batteries and all this other stuff that's that's got to go into the phone. And if those all have to be imported from China and Taiwan and South Korea here, well, then it makes more sense to assemble the product there and ship the assembled product here. Right. So 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 it's a it's a challenge. I, I read a study uh, that uh, I think Bloomberg had done and they said to get 10% of Apple's production out of China to to India, for example, would take eight years <laughs> because of developing the supply chain for the components, training the people, building the factories, doing everything. Else. They, they said, no, it sounds too long. But even, even if they're off by a factor of two, <clears throat> if it's four years, that's a long time. Well, how does that satisfy the concept of reshoring? If switching from China to India, what is the difference? It doesn't. It doesn't from, well, it, it does from our perspective. It, it does from a national security perspective in that um, if, if something's coming out of India, which is somewhere between neutral and friendly to the United States. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're more likely to be able to get the product. Obviously, be better out of Mexico or Canada or Germany or somewhere like that. Right. But the, but but so it's but it's more secure than out of China. But it doesn't. It definitely is not reshoring. Reshoring is is to bring the production back to the U.S. And nearshoring is Canada and Mexico. And 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 in in order of priority, it's bring it here or or bring it to Canada or Mexico. And and if you can't do that, then it's Europe, Japan, South Korea. You know, one of those. So let me bring up a, a, a side topic, and we've talked about this before. Let's talk about a side topic. You're bringing back X million people, um, X million jobs back to the United States, um, aside from switching it from the China to the U.S. to India. But we're talking about bringing jobs back to the U.S., okay? We have a lower birth rate than we've ever had. We people are still quitting jobs. Uh, there's still a tight labor shortage. The baby boomers are uh, retiring, except for me. And uh, and for you. Okay. <laughs> right. so we, we don't want to. We don't want to leave you out of that. Actually, I'm I'm not even a baby boomer. You're not. I'm too old to be a baby boomer. Well, what came before baby boomers? Because I'm not a baby boomer either. Yeah, we're, we're a great, great generation. The great generation. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> and I guarantee you that 90% of the people don't know what the great generation is. <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're probably glad we didn't find out. I mean, the great generation was pretty much the, the people who fought in the war. 
Right. You know, and and I, I was born at the end of the war, so I definitely, I, I'm glad I didn't have to go over there and get blown to pieces. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I was born at the, near the beginning of the war, you know, the Great War, uh, World War II. So let me uh, get to, getting to my point. So we're bringing back jobs, uh, you know, something like 5 million over a period of time. That's the objective. I'm sorry? That's the objective. Right. Where are we getting the people from? I have the solution. You're going to go out and have 100 kids. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not not strong enough to do that. (laughs) Okay, I I sounded... (laughs) That's where I thought you were going, Lou. Yeah, I, I hope my wife's not listening. Uh, no, here, here, but the story here is that, um, you know, in the 1890s, 1900s, you know, we were bringing people in from overseas, immigration-wise. And, you know, they, they came over and they started building and growing and it built the Industrial uh, Revolution. Um, why are we doing that now? Why aren't, you know... Our government, whether it's Democrat or Republican, we don't have an immigration policy. I, I, I've been in favor of, of an, inf- an enlightened immigration policy for decades. I've been in favor I'm of sure. that. You know, the, the thing, <clears throat> thing I, I don't want is um, uneducated, unskilled, uh, people to come in and some of them, some of them become dependent here, you know, okay. I, I want people that are tool makers and welders and engineers and absolutely machinists and they're forgers and, uh, to come in. Harry, they're there. They're in, they're in the Ukraine. They're in Germany. They're in uh, England, France. Why don't, yeah. you don't like, you don't like living where you're living. When are we going to bring them over? Yeah. I, I, I think the problem is the Democrats don't do it. I'll say since we're not political, one party doesn't do it because having more of those skilled people over here will lower wages because there's more supply of workers and therefore wages in theory will come down a little bit. That's one party side. The the other party side is is just so I think dedicated to um, to the border. You know, that they and 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 to me the border is an entirely separate issue. The border is just those unskilled, you know, whatever people coming in, and and, and Canada, for example, does a great job of letting people in with skills. And the U.S. could U.S. isn't quite the shining city on a hill that it was 40, 50 years ago. Right, but it's still. A much better choice than ninety percent of the places you could live in the world. And, well, and so I'm, I'm convinced that millions of people would come here if we said, here, "Here's a list of you know two hundred job categories. You've got to have these credentials. You've got to have this. You got English, no crime. You know, blah blah blah. You got to come in with ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. You can live for a while till you get the job. I, I think millions would be applying. Absolutely, and that would really solve a lot of problems, some of the problems that you're trying to address with bringing the jobs back. All right, so you bring the jobs back, but you don't have people to fill the jobs. So let's bring the people over, the skilled people. I mean, there's a lot of skilled people in Europe. There's a, from all over the world, forget about Mexico and South America, you know, that's, we're not talking about that. 
but as you pointed but, out. But the, but the skilled people in Mexico and South America would also be yes, equally equally yes, welcome. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We want, let's, you might say, we want brains and hands, not just bodies. Right, right. But they do bring over good drugs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Speak, speaking from experience, you're, you're doing well. Well, <laughs> that goes back I don't know, decades. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'm not confessing to anything. So, uh, what do you think that uh, you know going forward uh, with regards to, uh, let's say, the the economy as it's going right now? What are we going to do? How's this going to, how are we going to function? How are we, you know, the, we're talking about recession. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about all kinds of things, but everybody's only talking. Nobody's well, well, doing. The, the, well, the president has, has had the IRA, you know, the CHIPS Act and so on, spending hundreds of billions of dollars. Yes. And, and that is unquestionably stimulating the, the chips and the EV batteries and, uh, rare earth minerals and some of these other you know, climate related categories. And, right. and, and that's, that's okay. But it, of course, the other side of it is you're talking about additional half a trillion or a trillion in debt. And, and it's and it's pretty clear that when you get the debt, debt too high, like Ray, Ray Dalio, you know, the, the top top investment guy says when the, as, the, as the country's debt to GDP ratio gets too high, the growth rate of the country starts to decline because because ev eventually for the US, I mean, imagine interest rates on on our debt, which have been averaging maybe 3%, 2%, something like that. Now, that if that goes to 7, 8%, at that point, the interest on the debt goes to a trillion or something like that a year. And it's it and it squeezes out almost every other wise investment you'd like to make. So, so ser serious implications for the spending. So, so has the, the, the government spending in the short term looks great. It's, it's like, a, like a drug, like you're talking about, it makes you feel good for a while, a couple, <laughs> a couple of shots of whiskey, you feel good for a while. And then later on, it's horrible. And, and, and so that's my fear that if the, if the national return on investment from the money isn't high enough. If it isn't enough to pay off the interest and the debt that's been accrued to do it, then it wasn't a good decision. Harry, you want to hear my philosophy? Go for it. The debt will never be paid. I, I, a lot of smart people agree with you. You know, when Bill Clinton created a <clears throat> surplus, that was the last time we saw debt free. I don't think it's ever going to be paid off. We're going to continue to pay the interest. The interest will go up, it'll go down, but the debt in itself is never going to be paid off. There, there's not there's nothing that anybody's talking about that demonstrates how they're going to pay the debt off. It's, you, you have to, most people would say the only way to do it is to inflate your way out of the problem. If we had 20% inflation per year, for five or 10 years, then that debt to GDP ratio would come down yeah. and the interest rate. And, and, and then at the end of that, if you could magically get the interest rates back down to 3% rather yeah. than 20%, then, then, yeah, then, the, uh, then you could 
you know, get, get your way out of debt. But the, the odds are it'll never get paid off. I, I got to, let's go back to consumers because that, that's, that's our subject. Go for it. So, so I, I've come up with a, like a handyman's list of advice for consumers. So if you're, if you're considering buying a product and, and you look at it, you pick it up at the store and it's made outside the US, especially if it's made in China, then, then you, you should apply rules, something like this. If you really need it, you know, you, uh, something's broken at home, you, nothing that you, that you have, the shoes have holes in them. You need a new pair of shoes. You have to have, to have that kind of thing. Well, if the price is above $100, search for the product on the internet to look for a made in USA product. So, so for example, a good friend of mine runs a company called Liberty Tabletop. And they were the winner of the 2019 National Metalworking Reshoring Award. And they're the, the only domestic stainless flatware producer. They took over what had been Oneida up in New York State. And, and they've had a great success with direct-to-consumer e-commerce. So they, they cut out the retailer and cut out the retailer's cut. <laughs> and, and therefore, where their, where their cost is, is too high to be competitive if they sold it through the retailer by selling direct to the consumer, cutting, cutting the retailer out, which is a big chunk. Now they're price competitive with, with uh, imports from China and places like that. So, so there's other people doing similar things. So, so if, it, if, it's, if the price is high enough, do the research and find something made in the US. So, what, a, so what is the retailer going to do? He's now getting screwed. He's getting knocked out of the picture. Yeah. Now yeah. what? I would take uh, fact, uh, retail shops, turn them into factories, and and employ all those immigrants that you and I are going to bring back. <laughs> <laughs> let let them make the things they used to sell. Right. Because <laughs> right. right. eventually you've got. If you're going to make the system more efficient, you have to take inefficiencies and friction out of out of out of the system. And and for right. me, the re retailers are necessary, good to have, but. They're not as important to the uh, system and the cycle as the, as the manufacturer and the right. consumer are. You know? right. so, so that's, that's if it's over 100. If it's, say, 26 to $100, ask customer service for a U.S. equivalent. At least they'll hear you. If they don't have it, then buy whatever you want. If the price is low, 10, 20 bucks, buy, you know, whatever you, you know, what was right there is not worth the time. If you've got some flexibility about what you want to buy, for example, it's a gift for for some kid, some boy, let's say. Well, you, you look you're looking for a glove, and all the baseball gloves are are made offshore, China, wherever. Okay, well, get, get a baseball bat because you know a Louisville I think a Louisville slugger still still made here in the United States. So so be a little flexible to to shift from the only imported category to the domestic available category. But my, here's my single best suggestion. If you, all those were about if you need something right now, you have to do it. But if you <clears throat> if you do not need it, don't buy it. Okay, you know, a lot of people go shopping just because they get pleasure or gratification from shopping. I, I don't do that. Uh, but but some people do that. But if, if you do not need it, do not buy it, save the money until you can at least buy a U.S. product you do not need. As long as you're not going to use it, you're just going to stick it on a shelf. It might as well be something made in the United States because you'll buy slightly fewer U.S. products at slightly higher prices. But you, you should think about the satisfaction 
that the American who made them will get, which will be greater than any loss of satisfaction you'll get from delaying until you find a made in USA product that you don't need. So, so, so think, think about your gratification and the gratification of other Americans who would love to have a job making something here in the country. So I understand your point and I've read your point. Uh, how long is this process going to take? Which process? Well, the process, you know, I, I want a baseball bat. Well, yeah. I don't want to buy the Chinese baseball bat. I want to buy an aluminum baseball bat that was made at a Ford shop in uh, Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to be cheaper than the baseball bat made out of wood in China, but let, let's assume that the pricing is lower. And we have an American now who's making these parts and he's got a job and he's got a car and he's got a house and so on and so forth. How long does this process take? Mean to, mean to get millions of people with yes, additional jobs? Absolutely. Uh, for, for, to put it in perspective, it took us, like the offshoring really started in the 1950s with Japan. Yes. So it's, so it's taken 60, 65 years to get to where we are now. And 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 therefore it's gonna take 20 years, 30, it's gonna take past what you and I are gonna be around probably to see. So maybe uh, we'll talk about a different topic then. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's gonna take it's gonna take years, but but it's it's like how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. So, so, so the it, to the extent that it's a a monumental task, the only thing to do is to get started right now and get the people we need, the workers we need, do the investment that we need, um, get the consumers uh, asking for the product, get the retailer offering it. If, if everybody does their job and the government does things to level the playing field, then then maybe it's you know, 15 years instead of 20 or 30. I think yeah. one of the I think one of the uh, situations and you sort of touched on it, and that is uh, we have to have parents instead of being so hung up with having my child go to college and get a degree and, you know, come out of school making $40,000, $50,000 a year with a $200,000 uh, college debt that uh, uh, the government now canceled that they're not going <laughs> to um, But I'm not talking politics now. <laughs> but the thing is that um, we have to educate the parents and say, hey, you know, your kid, is he handy? Is he creative? Is he artistic? Maybe you should be looking for him to get involved in a trade school, learn how to make uh, horseshoes again. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll bring the horses back that use less gas, you know, and so on and so forth. But the point is that, and I think some of that is happening. Not a lot, not enough. But I, I think that the parents today need to be educated enough that their spoiled little kid needs to understand that work with your hands, be creative. Uh, you can make a lot of money going to, I mean, you want to be an underwater welder, you can make $150,000 a year. 
You can't do that coming out of school and becoming a school teacher. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Lou. There's no question about it. Did, did I tell you my Wisconsin story? I'm not sure, but I have a feeling you're going to. It's, it's a good one. So I was up speaking at University of Wisconsin Platteville, so one of the University of Wisconsin graduate schools, you know, full full university, and and I met the, a vice president from Milwaukee Area Technical College, which is a community college in Milwaukee, good, good sized place, ten thousand students, I and mean, some like big big school, and he was bragging about the fact that that community college is the second largest graduate school in Wisconsin, even though they don't have a graduate school, they don't give masters and PhD, they don't give bachelor's <laughs> degrees, okay? And that was because thousands of their students already had bachelor's degrees and had come back to get a community college associate's degree in a technical field so they could make money and pay off the debt they had from getting the bachelor's degree. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of message that the parents and the students need to learn. And, and and I think I've talked before about the, the government charts that show income going up with number of degrees, and, and they always show, they only compare number of degrees, uh, no high school, high school, community college, bachelors, and, and, and I'm trying to get them to include in here the the income of people who passed an, an apprenticeship and right. who have and show that that income is just as good. And the parents and kid, hopefully, guidance kind of look at that, huh, let's say, let's say equal income, start working five years sooner, but no tuition. No tuition. <laughs> you put that together, and, 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 and it isn't just the kids that maybe aren't, are not quite smart enough to get the bachelor's degrees. Many of the kids that could get the bachelor's degree would, is, would be and maybe want to be an engineer would be better off to start as a tool maker or a precision machinist get the practical experience get their associate's degree during their apprenticeship and then go to night school and get the bachelor's degree they'll be a much better engineer than if they just did the theory and never had the experience makes sense to me yeah you know and that's that's been one of the things that i've been uh, uh beating the bush about that College isn't the answer all. Agreed entirely. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, to make your mom and dad happy that you graduated college. You know, you're the first generation to go to college. Well, maybe you should be the first generation to learn how to use your hands and make something. Well, I, I think back 50, 100 years ago, you know, for example, around the time, right after the war, we had all which, kinds of- Which one? First or second? The, the World War II. World War II. After that war, we had millions of immigrants come in. I had a, a great friend uh, ran a company called Numerical Precision, made satellite components, real, real high, perfect, Egon Yegen. And he was a, a toolmaker apprentice from, from Switzerland. He came over here, worked for Northwestern University, worked for other, eventually started his own company, made just the most wonderful, complicated products, you know, using the machines, I sold them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and it was such a proud, he, he was in the US military and he made, he was so proud to make parts for the Defense Department, for, you know, for the Air Force, for NASA and so on. Just, just, just 
we had, a, we had a, we were so lucky to have had millions of people like that come over after after the war and now like we were saying before it's time to time to bring them back if if the u.s kids if the u.s kids want to get get, get a, a anthropology degree and work at starbucks <laughs> then, then, then leave those good jobs for the immigrants. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We can bring them over by the boatloads. Harry, right, this this is great, and you know your your stories and your the analogies that you come up with are just terrific, and they're right. They're right on. And you know I'm not as bright as you, but I'm trying to catch up, so I appreciate uh, that. Today you're a lot brighter than I am. Oh, is that, that right? Yellow, the oh. yellow jacket and the tie. You, Oh, the tie. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm sweating behind this tie, you know. Now I see why you don't wear a tie. So, Harry, I, I appreciate uh, your being with us again on the show. And and by the way, you have to listen to the show after we uh, lo uh, log it on, because I got a little surprise for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Harry, do you have any other points you'd like to bring up before we wrap up? Well, some of these things we've talked about, like the skilled, the skilled workforce, which is the number one issue for us. Right. I, I think for you too. Um, later on in the series, we're going to devote probably two sessions to just to the skilled workforce and just what, what the, the city, the companies, the, the state, the, the U.S. government has to do to make the skilled workforce go. And I, I think that'll be a, a, a great, a couple of great sessions. Love it. Thank you, Harry. And yeah. and everybody, uh, Harry, uh, why don't you give us your URL for emails and so on so some of our people can contact you if they wish. So for the website, it's uh, reshorenow.org. And for, for, for me directly, it's harry.moser, M-O-S-E-R, at reshorenow.org. Excellent. And everybody, come to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're, we're up uh, weekly. Uh, our umbrella network is uh, Jacket Media Co., where you can see not only Manufacturing Talk Radio, but we have four or five other shows all about manufacturing, women in manufacturing. Uh, Chris Keel, who's an economist. We have the Institute of Supply Management uh, Manufacturing and Institute of Supply Management Services Report. Both of those come out in the beginning of the month. So come to our website, take a look. If you'd like to be a guest, matter of fact, we also have an e-zine called Manufacturing Outlook. So if you'd like to subscribe to a free uh, uh, magazine subscription, you can. And you can, for, for nothing, we won't even charge you. You can write articles for our magazine if you have <laughs> enough knowledge in your particular topic. So uh, do do that. Come to us, take a look, see what we're doing. We've been doing it. Uh, today's November 11th in two days on November 13th, 2022. It's going to be 10 years that we're doing this on the internet. And uh, I love doing it. Time's not running out. I got a long way to go. And uh, Harry, you, you know, you're going to be right behind me, you know, so, <laughs> so everybody, again, come come visit us. If you have any comments you'd like to make, email us, email Harry. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas about the show, if you have ideas about uh, uh, topics and so on, please be my guest and uh, address 
address us directly. So thank you much, Harry. Yes, by the way, be great next time. And thank and thanks for the T-shirt. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Take care now. Bye bye. bye, -bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.